Well, you truly know that the global pandemic has the world in complete and utter chaos. You look up and see the worship pastor preaching on Sunday morning. So with that in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, the words of my lips, meditations of my heart, bring you glory, build up our congregation. Let nothing come that doesn't build us up as a body. I give you this time and ask, Father, that you speak to our church. Amen. Well, today I had the privilege of speaking to you on the first of our three callings that we've been speaking of over the last few months. Stay anchored to God. We define staying anchored to God as staying connected to God through worship. Hence why I get to speak. Worship is something that I am very passionate about. The spiritual discipline of worship is uh, sometimes known as our first love. It's the thing that undergirds almost every other aspect of our faith. It's vitally important. And that verb, work to worship, simply means uh, etymologically uh, to ascribe worth to something of value. But why is it such an important part, such a fundamental part of our faith? I think to understand why it's so important, we have to really understand what worship is uh, to begin with. And that's not as easy a conversation as you might think it is. Uh, In three decades of pastoral ministry, I've heard many, many diverse definitions of worship. Uh, But there's one that sticks with me. It's one that I've used through the years that has a lot of meaning and a lot of application for me. And I'd like to share it with you this morning. It is this, worship is bringing all that you are into communion with all that God is and allowing that to transform your life. Let me say that again. Worship is bringing all that you are before all that God is and allowing that communion to change your life. So what does that mean to me? First, let me ask you a question. How many of you have your church face? You know, the one that you uh, put on when you come to church or you go to your small group. You know, you put on your best clothes, your best smile, you get your hair just right. You come and sing all those happy songs of joy and praise, and then you give thanks to God for all the blessings that are being poured out on your life. I know that face. I know some of you have it. I know because I stand up here and I look out and I see you worshiping every single Sunday. I see that face. Uh, I have that face too, sometimes. But that's not all that we are, is it? Amidst all that put-togetherness that we like to show, there are things that are broken. We have sorrow grief, shame and guilt, and doubt and regrets. These are the things that begin to paint a truer picture of who we are in reality. The beautiful thing about that definition of worship, the beautiful thing about that definition of worship is connecting with the second half of it. 
the part that says all that God is. Because he's not just our creator. He is not just our judge. He is Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals me. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. Jehovah Ra, my shepherd. Elohim Chasede, the God of mercy and forgiveness. So no matter what beautiful or broken thing we bring before God, He will be faithful to meet us wherever we are with the perfect response, a response that will change your life if you let it. That's what worship is. So what does bringing all that we are before all that God is look like practically? Well, it looks like a lot of things, but there are just two postures of the heart that I want to share with you this morning. The first one is a vertical posture of worship. To learn about what a vertical posture of worship is, all one has to do is to look in the Old Testament. There's tons of beautiful examples of this vertical posture of worship. When you look in 1 Kings, uh, the 6th through the 8th chapter, uh, you read about King Solomon building the temple and dedicating it. An amazing story of bowing before a holy and almighty God. God that was so powerful that when he began to take residence in the holy of holies there in the temple, the people couldn't even stay in there. That is a vertical aspect of worship. We on our knees and an almighty God before us. One only has to look through the Psalms to hear how that was reflected in the lives of those Old Testament believers. Look at Psalm 95. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord God, our maker, for he is our God. and We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. You know, this posture of us on our knees before a holy God is still very, very relevant today, and it's always a part of our worship every single week. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. To thy feet my tribute bring. Ransom, healed, restored, and forgiven. Evermore thy praise I'll sing. The posture of our vertical worship is simply that of a small child reaching up to God, reaching up to a much beloved father longing for his embrace. But when Jesus came, almost everything changed about how we worship. Jesus opened the way for daily communion with the Father. The Lord was no longer relegated to the Holy of Holies in the temple where God, under the old covenant, had said, I will be with you, I will dwell amongst you. And he literally dwelt amongst them in the temple. But Jesus became the temple upon his sacrifice on the cross. John tells us the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. In other words, Jesus' body, now being the temple, was the place where God would meet his people and manifest his presence and forgive our sins. That's why Jesus can say, the hour is coming when true worshipers will no longer need to worship in Jerusalem, but will worship in spirit and in truth. So, no more going to the temple, no more priests, 
Forgiveness through Christ's sacrifice rather than animal sacrifices. Those first century Christians must have been real, or, or, yeah, first century Christians must have been reeling, thinking, what does worship even look like? They began to question what it was and how to respond. I can just picture it. Those first century Christians. So, why do we need to go to temple? No more priests, no more animal sacrifices. Why do we need to gather at all? We could just sit at home in our pajamas, drinking our coffee, watching TV. Just kidding. Just poking at you just a little bit. But it really was a conundrum for them. They weren't sure what to do. And in the words of, the Paul, in words of Paul, the apostle, how then shall we act? How do we now commune with God? What do we offer as a sacrifice? Well, Paul answers that question pretty directly. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So the Christian's whole life now is an act of sacrificial service to God. This means worship is not something we do mainly on Sunday morning when we gather. But how do we live literally every minute of our life, every day of our life, as an act of worship before a holy God? Well, Paul, once again, gives us a very direct instruction in his letter to the Hebrews. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're only able to approach that amazing standard that Jesus Christ set for us and modeled for us when we strive to do so together in community. We were meant for each other. We need each other. We're not meant to do this alone. Paul tells the church in Colossae, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. We teach and admonish one another when we sing and when we praise God together. What's unique about our weekly gathering, not that we're coming together to worship, but that we come together in worship so that we may also build each other up, encouraging, admonishing, and holding accountable each other as we seek to strive to be like Christ. That is what it means to bring all that you are before all that God is. To live your life as a sacrificial offer of service to God. It was suggested I spend the last minute or a couple of minutes of my time sharing and telling you about the ways in which we seek to do that here at Covenant, these aspects of worship. But I really only need a minute because you already know what it is we're doing. Here are the ways in which we seek to worship the Lord together. 
Number one, worship every Sunday morning with us. If your health is at risk, stay at home and watch the live stream every Sunday morning. Join with literally hundreds of people around the world worshiping together. You can see that on Facebook or on the web, our Covenant website. But as soon as you are safely able, find ways to worship with others. You can do that through attending here in person. You can do that through worshiping maybe with your small group, something to consider as a next step, coming together with those you know well and worshiping in a small group. You can worship with your family, or if you live alone, call a friend and maybe get together and worship with them. Secondly, not just Sunday morning, but find ways to worship and live a lifestyle of worship through the week. You can do that through joining a Bible study. You can join one of our many online offerings of sermon discussions and, and, uh, and, and groups for Bible study. There's tons of them. They're available. You can find them on our website. You can use the Amplify Guide. Use that for your personal devotions through the week or use that as a family devotion. But it helps keep the teaching of our church and all of us together on the same page for, day, for days after our worship time. Finally, you can join a small group. Brinley is going to come now and share with you about what that means, but joining a small group will have one of the biggest impacts on your life. I have experienced it, and I can guarantee it if you're not already part of one. So you know these things. But again, let me challenge you. Every single week, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as we seek to find our way safely together through this season. Amen. Good morning, Covenant Church family. So Travis was just sharing about how we are to be staying connected, um, sorry, staying anchored to God in this season. And I want to say a few things about staying connected to God's people. I want to just point out first Hebrews 10, uh, 22 through 25. Uh, Travis was referring to some of that passage. And in that passage, verses 22 through 25, we, we learn some things about what biblical community is. The first few verses talk about um, our call to um, draw near. It says, um, let us draw near to God. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. So that is primary, we, we, we draw near to God and we hold unswervingly to the hope we profess um, for the glory of God. The glory of God is in view. And the reality is then that um, I need others to help me do that. The passage says next, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. It says next, let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. What I want you to see is the progression here. First and foremost, we're called to draw near to God and hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. We do that to the glory of God. We realize that none of us can do that on our own. We need each other. We need others to be spurring us on toward love and good deeds. And I'm not going to let others spur me on or they're not going to be in the place to spur me on unless they're in relationship with me, unless we are meeting together regularly. So that is this picture of biblical community. 
Here's what I glean from that, as well as other passages in scripture about community. I see this need, this call for us to to see one another, to know one another, to accept one another, to care for one another and enjoy one another with the glory of God in view. I think of my own experience just this past few weeks as as I, along with others from our staff and session, have had the, the blessing, the privilege of visiting many of you in your homes. And I had the blessing of, as I stepped up to your door, um, you and, and you welcomed me into conversation. Um, you, I felt seen and known as many of you uh, asked, as I asked you questions, you also asked me questions about my family and about my life. I felt seen and known by you. I felt accepted by you as you welcomed the conversation or you invited me to sit down indoors or or on your back patio. I felt accepted. I think of one example of feeling cared for in that um, you had my favorite chocolate chip cookies waiting for me as I came to your door. I felt enjoyed in this, with, with the posture that, that you welcomed me with, with your, your thank you uh, emails or voicemails after the fact. To, to see, know, accept, care for, and enjoy one another with the glory of God in view. I felt that from all of you in, in a very kind of on, a, on an initial level. And what I want to encourage you is that, that we can do those things with, with anyone in any conversation on a very initial level. So here's how this kind of community plays out for us here at Covenant. First of all, it is my prayer and hope and experience that when we gather in person on Sunday mornings, that we have this opportunity um, to see, know, accept, care for, and enjoy one another. in in an initial level kind of way. We have the opportunity to do that and the call to do that to one another. I look out with our covenant community and I see our almost 50 small groups, men's groups, women's groups, uh, mixed groups. That's over 450 men and women meeting regularly. Um, This is part of their life that they see, know, accept, care for, and enjoy one another. And that's a beautiful picture of the biblical community happening here at this church family at Covenant. Then when I dig deeper and have conversations with many of you, I, I hear not only about your, the formal small group that you have and the encouragement that that group has been, but I hear you start to talk about these one, two, or three other friends that you're gathering with. Um, you might, they might be your coffee ladies or your tea ladies or, or the guys you grab a bite to eat with or, or the person you go for a walk or a run with. And, and you talk about how those relationships are really deeply spurring you on toward love and good deeds in your relationship with the Lord. That's what I dream for each of us, that we would have those one to three others that are really spurring us on in our relationship with the Lord. And I think in my experience, I've learned that that usually, often, those relationships come from uh, the the formal small group uh, setting that we are in. I want to give you two simple action steps 
uh, as I close. And I, I want to invite you, one, if you're not in a group, then get in a group. And you can do that. You can find out about a group by texting group. Just text one word, group, to this number, 765-412-2139. And Christy or I would love to enter into a conversation with you about getting into a group. Secondly, I want to encourage you to reach out to someone, to be thinking about with whom can you take a next or deeper step to see, know, accept, care for, and enjoy someone else. We know that God calls us to draw near to him, to hold unswervingly to the hope that we have, and we cannot do that unless we are spurring one another on toward love and good deeds, and we are meeting together regularly. I love that as we are doing these things, that also puts us in just the right posture for us to be staying faithful to God's call on our life to live a life of love. And Tom is going to come and tell us more about that part of our calling right now. Well, as Brentley has told you, good morning. Uh, he's told you that I'm going to discuss what it is to stay faithful. Well, if you think about anchored and you think about connected, those are internal things. And this idea of living a, uh, staying faithful and living a life of love really propels us outside of ourselves. You know, there's, uh, there's something as we talk about this living a life of love and loving our neighbors that sort of needs some context. And so what I want to do is read a couple of passages. The first one comes out of 1 Peter, and I'm trying to help us see who we are and what we're supposed to be about. It starts like this in the second chapter of the ninth verse. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And the second one comes out of Ephesians uh, chapter 2, uh, uh, verse 11. Remember, therefore, that at one time you who were Gentiles in the flesh were far, far from God. You were not part of the circumcision, a circumcision made by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant's promises, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I think it's important when we start to talk about staying faithful to love our neighbors that we remind ourselves of these truths. We remember who we are and whose we are and what we used to be. So we then begin to love our neighbors simply by getting to know their story and hopefully one day being able to share the fullness of our story, which of course is the story of Christ. So how many of you have noticed your neighbors more during the pandemic than you did before? How many of your neighbors have noticed you more than they did before the pandemic? I know that I now have got it figured out. There are two times I'm absolutely going to be able to connect with my neighbors. Well, three, really. When garbage goes out and when the cans are brought back in and mail. 
If you show up pretty close to the mail truck, you're almost always going to have a conversation with someone. None of that used to happen because it happened while I was at work. I want to share just a couple of stories of two, two gals in our congregation, completely separate from one another, who just noticed. They noticed that people were walking more, and one of them was a walker, and so she just started walking with people. But then she came up with this great idea at the end of the walk, why don't we sit, and it was hotter then, under a tree? And so she had a few chairs out. Pretty soon there were eight and ten people who were walkers meeting. Another gal wasn't so much a walker, but she noticed there were lots of walkers, and so she, completely independent of the other, put two chairs under a tree. Somebody joined her. Pretty soon there were five, six, seven, and eight joining on a regular basis and having conversation and getting to know one another. That's the first step to being a neighbor. That's what it looks like. And I have a story too, but I'm going to share it tomorrow. Uh, we're having a Facebook Live at uh, 1210, and I'll share that story and some more details about this at that point in time. I want to introduce you to just the heart of the Father and the heart of Jesus. Because if we get that, then we'll be in a better place to be neighbors. This Jesus guy was so good at welcoming people that he often was accused of a couple of different things. One, it seemed like he loved gathering so much that he was often with the wrong people. He was called a sinner. He was called a glutton. He was called a, a drunkard. All of those things just because he cared about people. Now, I want to share with you a passage uh, out of Luke chapter uh, 15. Just a couple of verses there. So what's happening, this, you, you really, to get this passage, you have to hold on to the context. The tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes, they were over in the corner, apparently grumbling loud enough to be heard, this man receives sinners and eats with them. He's not part of our purity crowd. What does he know? He's, what's wrong with him? So Jesus tells them three short parables. First one is about a lost uh, sheep. And he says, God leaves 99 and goes after the one. The second one is about a lost coin. The woman sweeps the whole house clean until she finds the lost coin. And in each case, they rejoice. But something interestingly is also said is that there is more joy in heaven and you know who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. More joy in heaven when one sinner repents than over 99 righteous ones. And then he goes on to tell the third story and you know it of the prodigal son. But doesn't this already begin to give you a picture of the heart of the father? The heart of the Father for lost things, for things that are outside of relationship where you and I used to be. That's the heart of the Father. And so the son, the third one, he asked for his father's inheritance and shockingly to anyone in the Mideast, the Father gives it to him. He runs away and lives foolishly, finds himself without food or work, and he finally takes a job feeding for an Israelite pigs. And he wishes he had as much to eat as the pigs Eventually he travels home, doesn't he? And the father has been looking for him for a long time. And it says this in verse 20. As he rose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him, felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. 
I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to him, to the servants, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Get a ring. Put it on his hand. Shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's now been found. It's time to celebrate. That's the heart of the father. And that's the heart of the people of God as well. God is inviting you to join him on that mission. Amongst everything else you do, this is who you are, and this is what we're called to do. So why is it so hard for us to do things like this? Why, if it's part of our call, do we struggle to actually follow through? Well, when I'm uncomfortable, or if I'm in a place where it's something I just don't want to do, I have three responses. And sometimes they're, none of these are all, these are all fear-based. I have the sense of fight, flight, or freeze. All fear-based. But there's a fourth one. A fourth one, and it's just face. Face into it. Trust God. And let him do what he's already promised he's going to do. Let him reach people through you. That's the heart of the Father. So, I'm going to give you just a couple of practical helps. Now, there's already been a document that's been sent out by Michelle that gives you lots more practical helps. And we'll talk more about those tomorrow. But a simple one might be, in this next week, and this is what we want you to do, Saturday is the day we want you to have a neighbor day. Just invite people over. It's so simple. When I've been inviting my neighbors in the last two days, it's amazing how many said, oh, we'd love to come. And they not only said they'd love to come, but when I told them we just wanted to talk about experiences in the pandemic, one of them gave me a better idea than I had. So it's just as simple as that. You could knock on a door, ring a doorbell, step back, have your mask on, and invite them to come over to your house. And really view the whole time as just about honoring them. You know, I've had more encounters that have gone deeper simply by trying to get to know people, making it all about them. And if the relationship begins to go anywhere, they eventually ask about you. And when they ask about you, Jesus is part of that story. It just happens as simple as water running off the back of a duck. And so that's what we're asking you to do. Sometime during this week, or get it planned if you need to do it next weekend, that's fine. It's a great week this week, by the way. Only Monday is rainy. Everything else is just awesome. A little chilly. We're going to have a little fire in our backyard. and not, I mean, a, a little fire pit in our backyard. And just welcome some people. We hope to have six or eight. And we're just going to ask questions about how the pandemic has been going on. You can do this too. This is not hard. This is actually quite simple. Sometimes people will say, yeah, but how do I know it's going to have any impact at all? You know, Paul, I think, as he was working his way uh, through Asia Minor, often wondered the same thing. He's in Corinth now in Acts chapter 18, 
And the Lord meets him in the middle of a vision in the night, in a vision in the night. And he says, Paul, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Don't be silent, for I'm with you. And no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many, many in this city who are my people. I want you to sit with that and ponder it a little bit. I have many in this city who are my people. God has people all around you. That's why he planted you there. Who need to hear, who need to be loved and need to catch your message. And so that's what we want to be about as a people. So you've heard three invitations today. You've heard an invitation to stay anchored. You've heard an invitation to stay connected. And now you've heard an invitation to stay faithful in a particular way by loving your neighbor. We want to do all of this by the power of Christ alive in us. Would you say a prayer, a quick prayer with me? Father, be the merciful God. Be the gracious God. And draw us into your arms and into your power to advance your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.